It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. It's exciting for us to introduce to you Mama Bear Apologetics. And Amy Davison joined the Mama Bear team in January 2019 after graduating with her master's in apologetics from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in 2018. She's co-host of the Mama Bear podcast. Again, we're going to find out what that's all about. Amy and her husband, Mike, are both Air Force veterans and have a heart for helping parents and kids love God with their minds. Together, they're raising three boys and a little girl now in Texas in a little house overflowing with noise and fun. Mm -hmm. When she doesn't get involved in mama bear things, Amy enjoys staying up late reading. Not sure she's doing too much of that right now and visiting antique stores. (laughs) And she has a general weakness for comedies and Earl Grey tea. Mm. Oh, Amy, we could still hang out. I just see us having a grand old time. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for joining us this morning and congratulations on your brand new baby girl. Oh, thank you so much. She's been such a blessing, and I really appreciate being here with you guys this morning as well. Yeah, and Mama Bear Apologetics. Okay, so I get the whole Mama Bear part because anybody who's a mama gets it. Like, I'm, if it's fight or flight, I am generally flight unless my kids are involved. Then the Mama Bear kicks in, right? But tell me about Mama Bear Apologetics. What is it, and what's it about? Yeah, Mama Bear Apologetics is a wonderful ministry that was started by Hilary Morgan Ferrer. She saw this need for ministries around apologetics directed exactly at women being told by other women. So apologetics is generally a lot of, it's a male dominated field. And there were so many women that were just not getting involved because they didn't have another woman kind of being there and walking alongside them. So Mama Bear Apologetics was born and it's just other moms in different life phases coming together to be able to articulate apologetic, theological, philosophical truths in a way that's accessible and practical to the everyday parent. Because we we are all overextended and you know it's those practical bits of wisdom on how we can apply the faith that moms desperately need so that we can articulate it to our kids so we can raise them up to stand firm in the faith and that's what mama bear is all about it's so good okay so somebody is hearing the word apologetics and they're like i i know i'm supposed to know what that word means i know it's a churchy word but how would you break that down so apologetics it's that first peter 315 it's be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you with gentleness and respect it's it's basically anytime anyone asks you okay what about this about the faith you're doing apologetics it's really articulating why you believe what you believe in a winsome and accessible way that points people to christ and one of the ways you are equipping us as parents in apologetics is to teach the biblical sexual ethic to our kids. That's a big part of Mama Bear Apologetics, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. And it's one that that kind of came out of nowhere. It happened right around COVID kicking off to where we were asked to write this book on biblical sexuality because our culture had kind of shifted its evangelistic approach on how it's reaching kids. I mean, it was progressive Christianity for so long, and now we saw this shift towards sexuality. And there was this need to help parents especially understand what culture is saying about sexuality to equip our kids because so many were being lured away, almost like 
like a Pied Piper situation into the secular sexual ethic. And so we came through and all, all of our COVID was dedicated toward this book and helping parents understand what's going on in culture and how do we raise kids who can love like Christ while still standing firm and articulating the truth. So, Amy, I'm really curious, how do we as parents identify the tactics that are being used to trick our kids into adopting an unbiblical view of sexuality? And this is under the guise of Christian-sounding words like love, identity, tolerance, and justice. I mean, this is just being thrown at us like a tidal wave. Oh, absolutely. And it's coming at kids at super young ages. I mean, we're we're seeing these themes being worked into bubble guppies and blues clues. So you're talking about toddlers to where the secular sexual foundation is being laid at 16 months of age. Mm. So how do we go about this? And we have to change the way we look at the talk. You know, I mean, as as we remember, it was sort of that awkward 10-minute conversation with mom or dad, or maybe they waited for a health class to take care of that for us. But when we actually look at scripture, we're supposed to steward our bodies just like we steward our faith. So this isn't meant to be a talk. It's supposed to be a lifelong discipleship. And so for us to be able to do that well, what helps is when we start seeing sex from a worldview perspective, because sex expresses all of what we believe about truth and morality, about God, what exists, who we are as human beings, even what happens after we die in the nature of sin. And so when we see it from that perspective, then we can start teaching our kids, okay, uh, you know, it's not just body anatomy that we're covering. We're talking about boundaries and we're talking about how God's design and why he says that sex is only supposed to be kept within marriage. It's because it's symbolic of God's relationship to the church. And we cannot miscommunicate this. I mean, First Thessalonians, I believe it's 4, 3 through 8, talks about how when we misunderstand our view of the body and misunderstand our sexuality, we lose our ability to see God. And so some of the ways that we can do that with our kids is by being strategic in how we teach them about sex from a young age. So give me an example of what that looks like. You're you're not having the talk. This is just life. You're alongside each other. Maybe you've got an example from, you know, your own your own kids, your own life and what it looked like for the conversation to just kind of emerge out of life. Yeah. So it's both proactive and reactive because unfortunately, omniscience is not a spiritual gifting. I I really wish it was, especially with my teen boys. But we have to be proactive in what we know is out there within the world. So we're teaching them about, you know, uh, proper dating habits and boundaries within God's design. And then we're also properly reactive. So Katie Faust has this great phrase. She calls it the no flinch rule. And what that means is that when something comes across the TV or the radio or your kids ask a question that shocks you or catches you off guard, you can't freak out. Right. Instead, you keep your composure and you answer the question as best as you're able to uh, without you know losing it. Because mm-hmm. what that does is that communicates to the kids that, oh, maybe mom isn't a safe one to talk to. So mm-hmm. it doesn't stop their questions. It just stops them from going to you with their questions. Yeah. And so for my kids, this moment happened when we were watching a cartoon called The Loud House one day, and it presented a character, a, a child character who was bisexual. And I was not prepared to have the conversation at all. I think my, my son, my oldest was 10. 
And I was just praying that he missed it. Mm-hmm. And he did not. And he mm-hmm. looked at me, he goes, wait a second, mom, in the other episode, she liked a boy, but now she likes a girl. What's that? Mm-hmm. And so that's that that reactive, okay, now we have to have this conversation. And we hadn't had it before. So for parents, this can be, I mean, we know that June is Pride Month. So we know that about May, we're going to start seeing those pillows and decorations in Target and Walmart that say love is love, equality. So what we can do is instead of you know putting the kids in a bunker for two months, instead, as we're walking through the store, we can say, okay, guys, they say love is love. Now, what do they mean by love? Or what do we know that love means? And then you can start explaining the terms because Satan is so clever and he co-ops and twist terms of what love means and what equality means. And so you just have these micro conversations. Okay, this is what culture says that love means, but what does God say that love means? What does? How do we know this to be true? And then, okay, what happens if we meet somebody who is now saying this, or you have a friend who says this, what would you say? And you sort of have practice conversations in the car. Mm-hmm. And it's just those little conversations that give your kids the words, the definitions, and the practice on how to have these conversations with their friends so they don't go flying off at school or at co-op or wherever they're at and swinging biblical truth like a hammer. (laughs) You know, they're doing it with that grace because I love kids. They're wonderful, but sometimes they're tacked. They need a little work on that. Amy, to engage in the conversation of sexuality today from a biblical standpoint seems like I don't know that we always do it really, really well. I I think it's perceived as a negative thing when we talk about God's good design. Talk about how God's good design for us is really good news for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. That's one thing I've noticed, especially with teenagers. They want to understand the why behind the command. And when you they understand the why, then reverence is really nurtured. Mm. And so one of the biggest is understanding that God's design is it really is it's good news for anyone regardless of what your your inclinations may be, desires may be. And that's because like we said before, sexuality is an expression of a worldview. And so the biblical sexual ethic really uh, keeps it the focus that we are made in the image of God. And that Imago Dei status means that we have inherent worth, worthy of protection. It is not something that we earn through a GPA or how many followers we have on social media. It is something we have in virtue of being made in God's image, in virtue of existing. And so that's a huge blessing. And what that means is that that image bearer status means that it comes with these boundaries and protections. And that's when we look at God's command for sexuality about not having sex prior to marriage. It is in a way to protect us because when we get outside God's commands, that's where we see exploitation of the human being occurring. And we see that with human trafficking, with pornography, any sort of deviation from God's design, it always leads to the degradation of the human being. Their value is determined by what they look like and what they do in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. In fact, we often, we've probably all heard it of, well, you wouldn't drive a car or you wouldn't buy a car without test driving it first. Why would you marry someone without sleeping them first? And what people don't realize is, wait a second, sweetheart, you are not a forward focus and you have this dignity that's worthy of protection. Mm -hmm. And so what that does is it reduces the human being 
comments like that reduces the human being to an object to be consumed and used. And then once you're not good enough anymore, once you're too old or have gained a couple pounds, well, then you just find somebody better. You upgrade. And so when we actually look at sex positivity, in the secular sexual worldview, we see that's what happens to the human person is that they're always reduced to an object and you're actually supposed to just focus in on your desires and your desires now become the sum total of your identity. It's not your mm-hmm. who you're made in Christ is your identity. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. It's who you desire to sleep with. That's now the mm-hmm. sum total of your identity, which is very degrading to all individuals. And so that's why when we look at God's design, we see that it really uplifts humanity rather than what the secular worldview does, which is degrades it to something to be used and consumed. Mm-hmm. Very performance-oriented as well. I know that you have your master's in apologetics, Amy, and I don't know if you studied Freud, but Freud said spiritual longings are frustrated sexual desires. Yeah. But actually, sexual desires are frustrated spiritual longings. That's the biblical mm. worldview. Talk about yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where we see when we actually look at, uh, in fact, Hillary does this amazing quote to where she talks about how when people are are going to the uh, the prostitute, what they're really longing for is church. And that's where mm-hmm. we see when we actually go in and have fellowship within the church, we have all these longings met and sustained through mm-hmm. Christ, so whereas so often our spiritual frustrations can act out sexually. In fact, we even see that secular psychologists will point out that when someone is, is having these sort of sexual experiences or sleeping around, it's actually a sign of a psychological disorder, or maybe there's an abuse within the home. But now we're seeing it being warped by culture as saying, oh no, they're just trying to find out who they are. And this is just human development. This is something that's supposed to be natural. And no, when we find that we are leaving that God-sized hole, as C.S. Lewis says, so often it gets filled by a God-substitute. Mm-hmm. It's often money, but more often than money, it's sex. And so that's why for our kids, we want to make sure that they have that firm foundation and rooting in Christ and understanding of God's design. So that way it helps provide guardrails for when they have these sexual encounters, they'll be less likely to make risky decision-making behavior. And Amy, I know that that Gen Z is seen as the least religious you know, group of Americans ever, but probably the most spiritual and the most open to Jesus. Talk about, you know, reaching the the Gen Z generation with the biblical sexual ethic. Yeah. So Gen Z, they want to understand the biblical sexual ethic because they are, they all have friends who are identifying as LGBTQ. They know at least someone. And so what they don't know is how do I articulate my faith in a loving way? Because in our culture today, if you if you speak life into someone, that's often seen as bigoted and closed-minded. And so for Gen Z, what they want to know is they want to know the facts. They want to know statistics and they want to know conversational tactics. So when you can equip them to think critically and well, like what do you mean when you say you are non-binary and what led you to this belief or this lifestyle and being able to stand firm in the faith when it comes to pronouns and names, all of these practical things are what Gen Z are hungering for. 
for it because they do. They want to be able to show Christ to their friends, but in a way that is loving. And one of the ways we can do that also is preparing them to understand that, look, when you are speaking Christ's name, you're going to get pushback. But that doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong or that you are being closed-minded or a hateful person. Instead, you're just speaking truth. And part of that means that we're going to be hated by the world, but that's okay because Christ overcame the world. I love how you're talking about not only not only do we want our Gen Z, our Gen Zers to know who they are in Christ, but we want them to be able to enter into the world that they live in today and to represent the Christ who loves them and who loves others. I mean, the training goes, it's more than just, I want you to know who you are. It's, I want you to be salt and light. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's what we're called to do. And that's what I love in Colossians when it says that, look, some of you were adulterers and thieves and uh, covetous natures. He goes, but that's what you were before you were washed in the blood mm-hmm. of Jesus. And that's what's so wonderful is at the foot of the cross, the ground is equal. So it does not matter your background. If you've been bathed in the blood of Christ, we are all made new and the past is not who we are. Instead, our identity is Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's what Gen Z needs to know. We can teach our kids the the truth of biblical sexuality that sets them free, and we also can set them free to be, you know, messengers of Jesus in a culture that's that's lost its way. Yeah. I'm so grateful that Jesus has rescued me from the evil and the poison of sin inside me that he's rescued me from becoming more and more what I selfishly desire for eternity. That's how I see hell becoming the worst part of me forever. Mm. Jesus has rescued me from that. Like given into all of our desires for all eternity. Yeah. Yeah. Slave to them. Yeah. Yeah. Like Pac-Man back in the day, just gobbling them up forever. So grateful that I'm forgiven and that my name is written in heaven. And that would be enough. That would be enough, but God gives us so much more. As 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 tells us, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are chosen. God handpicked you and has written your name in heaven. He chose you. But not just that, you were chosen for a purpose. Mm -hmm. You are a priest. This is part of your purpose. You get to face God. I do too. Unashamed because of the cleansing blood of Jesus. And you get to turn around toward your world to offer this same grace. You know, I'm just a beggar in the bread line who's found bread, letting others know that, hey, you can get bread here. Mm -hmm. The bread of life. I love, I love the fact that we're chosen. I, I was a nerdy kid. I got bifocals at, I got contacts at seven. So bifocals at 18 months old, just, I was not one of the cool kids, Barry. I just wasn't. So being chosen, like I remember in sixth grade, I had a, I had the biggest crush on, um, Tony, I can't remember his last name. You're so good at the last names. You remember everybody from your village growing <laughs> up, everybody from the show, you know? Right, right. The uh, Fred Savage and everybody at the Wonder yeah, Years. Yeah. yeah, they're all your friends. Bimmer. I don't remember Tony's last name, but I had the biggest crush on Tony. 
He had this blonde hair and he always like flicked his head sideways oh, yeah. like this, you know, the hair went, he yeah. was so cool. And he had Vans and cause SoCal grew up in Vans. Anyway, he was a cool kid. And I remember telling a friend to tell Tony that I had a crush on him and word got back, you know, that I was rejected. It was sixth grade. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what he said. It was inappropriate. But there's just the 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 rejection, right? Like the not being chosen, not being wanted. Those hurts from our childhood can sometimes carry with us into adulthood. And I think one of the things that I adore so much about the relationship with the Lord is that he has chosen us, that he looks at you and he says, I want to be with you for all eternity. I pick yeah. you. I can't imagine you being nerdy. <laughs> I can't. There's nothing nerdy about you. That's so funny. Yeah. I'll bring in some pictures. I bet you in high school you weren't nerdy. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't nerdy in high school, but I wasn't one of the popular kids either. All right. All right. So chosen. You love that. I love that. You're a priest. You know, get to face God, get to face the world, mediate God's presence to the world. You are holy. God has set you apart for his purpose. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart. He cleanses us, sets us apart. And his purpose is for you to offer his forgiveness to your world. And you are God's very own possession. He says to you and me, you are more valuable to me than all the jewels of the world. If you can think of anything better than that, I mean, he gave his son to prove how valuable we are to him. Yeah. Yeah, we're not some um oh what's like a like a pity project for the Lord, right? Like he he chooses us, he invites us in and he says, "Listen, I've got big plans for you. You're an influencer. You're going to make a difference in the kingdom of God." Listen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we so it's not that we just like somehow got scraped in but we're just riding the pine. We're in the game. God's mm-hmm. got a plan for us. And I think of my Downs nephew Tate who is just a lover. He can't communicate verbally, but I've never seen anybody love so well. Yeah, he communicates. He just doesn't use his words. Yeah, that's awesome. So you are chosen, you are a priest, you are holy, you are God's precious, and it's really summed up in 1 Peter 2.10. God chose you, made you a priest, set you apart as holy, calls you his precious possession, so that... You might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. How can we declare the praises of the one who's called us into his marvelous light? The ways are infinite. We need to be creative in declaring his praises. And when we declare his praises, we bring Jesus to our world. And we are used by God when we declare his praises to reconcile our friends, neighbors, families, strangers, the nations to the God who so loves them and gave his life for them. Have you ever experienced something so good that you didn't want that day to ever end? You didn't want the thing that happened on that day and and the freshness of the experience to be something that was a memory from, you know, last week or last month or five years ago. Like you just want to drink in the moment as long as you can. Yes. Yes, lots of experiences, thankfully, like that. I was driving home to Sheboygan on Christmas Eve. I love snowstorms. Mm. 
and it was in a snowstorm. Driving in a snowstorm? You love driving in a snowstorm. I did at that time. Okay. I was a young man, you know, caution to the wind. And so, throw caution to the wind. So I was driving north, and it was nighttime, and it was a, a blizzard, and I was in my green Volkswagen Rabbit, and I was just plowing through the drifts, and I just started imagining what it would have been like on the night that Jesus was born. And I started just writing this song and creating this story of one of the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born. It was just a magical moment on Mm -hmm. Christmas Eve in a snowstorm, writing about Jesus' birth. I didn't want it to end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I've definitely had moments where it's it's interesting to me how quickly um, an earthly moment can become a, a spiritual experience for us, right? Like I've, I grew up in Southern California. I have stood at the ocean, right on the beach and watched the waves crashing in. And I'm going back right now to a very specific time when the sun was setting. And so it's, it's crazy. I don't know how to explain this to you, but when it's starting to get dark and the waves are crashing in, when they crash and that, that white foam that's created, it kind of glows in the dark a little bit. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like it's illuminated. Maybe it was the moon, you know, reflecting on that, the whiteness and the waves that was making it look that way. But I'm watching these, this water swell and build and then boom, crash down and this white foam just kind of like light up and it's happening again and again and again. I'm looking at the expanse of the water and the ocean and I'm just like, there is a God. Like you just know that you know that you know that there's a God and he's awesome. What was that communicating to you about God's character, his nature? You know, because God is so many different things. Right. In that moment, it was, I am so big. Like I am so big and so vast and so great. And I, I love the intimacy that we share with God and that he, that we're close, that, that we have this relationship. But in that moment, it was his awesomeness. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some experiences like that. It's it does it does really encourage me to to see God as so huge. Some people are kind of frightened by that. People mm-hmm. who follow Jesus are frightened by the hugeness or even by eternity, things like that. Well, when you think about what he's capable of doing, it it is terrifying. It could be terrifying. Yeah, we feel we realize that we're not in control. Mm-hmm. Maybe, right. Maybe it's control. I have a friend that says the only thing that matches the greatness of God is the goodness of God. Hmm. And that's where the comfort comes in. Because as great as he is, he's just as good. Yeah. So you can trust him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or you could say the holiness of God and the nearness of God. Yeah. Those two. Right? Yeah, he's so good. And there's joy in his presence. There's joy in recognizing that God is right here, right now. I'm mindful, too, of like, you know, the days that each of my kids were born, just the miracle of life that God did this. God did this. This brand new human being, you know, I mean, it's just, it is a miracle. What really amazed me when my daughter Kaylee, my firstborn Kaylee was born, was Here's this miniature human being, perfectly formed. And what grabbed me was the way her ear was formed. Mm -hmm. Just the intricate forming of the ear is just a tiny version of mine. And her, it it just grabbed me like, 
Wow, look at her look ear. Look at that ear. See, yeah, for me, it's, it's a miracle. It, for me, it's the feet, the toes. It's yeah, all of them. But like, I if it. I just zoom in on the little baby feet, man, there's just something. I just want to kiss them. There's yeah. something about baby feet. But the moments, you know, that affirm the truth about God are affirming a truth that's always true. <laughs> it's just in moments, we there are moments when we feel it more than others, but that right. doesn't mean it's less true than when we're not feeling it. The truth is God is real. He's, he's a real God and he's really present and his presence brings us incredible joy. He's promised he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. You'll find that all throughout scripture, New Testament, Old Testament, it is all over the Bible that he's here. And there's joy in the fact that he's here. There's joy in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. So whether you feel it or whether you don't feel it doesn't change the reality of the truth that God is right here, right now. Listen to this. I love this. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real-life journey with you. The content from the Barry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Barry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.